I'm Brett McGarry. Last week we had a preview. This week on the Couch Potatoes, we've got a review of El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. Who watches The Watchmen? We do. Starting Sunday on HBO, we'll tee it up. And I've got a belated review of something to check out just in time for Halloween, if it's still playing near you. It, Chapter 2. So there were three new movies in theaters last weekend. The Addams Family, which already has been greenlit for a sequel for that cartoon, The Addams Family. Gemini Man, that's the Will Smith versus Will Smith movie. And Jexy. But you could argue the biggest movie that was released was on Netflix. I don't know what to tell you. I ain't said like 500 times already. I have no idea where he is. Don't know where he's headed either. North, south, west, east, Mexico, the moon. I don't have a clue. But yo, even if I did, who wouldn't tell you? Because I've been watching the news, same as everybody else. I seen that little cage of his they kept him in. I heard about what all they did to him to make sure he kept cooking. So sorry. I don't know what to tell you. No way I'm helping you people put Jesse Pinkman back inside a cage. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, dropped last Friday, October 11th on Netflix, and it was released to resoundingly positive reviews, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. I watched it the next day, Saturday morning, and I loved it. Jeff, what'd you think? I was tired Saturday, so I waited to Sunday because I wanted to be uh, fresh-eyed for it. I loved it, too. It was very Breaking Bad, sort of like two hours dedicated to maybe a couple of days featuring a lot of time spent going over painstaking details that every other show in the world would just ignore. So I love that about it. I, I'm, it's weird to call it a movie. It's felt more like an extended episode. I sort of wish that they had, you know, made, made three episodes out of the whole thing and maybe added a few more scenes. Well, they had an extended running time, right? This yeah. was two hours. and Yeah. And apparently the original yeah, cut was three hours long. So. so there you go. They could have made three episodes out yeah. of it because it, it felt like an episode of Breaking Bad. It didn't feel like a movie and the same was with the Downton Abbey movie just felt like a long episode of that too or a special so uh, it really relies on you remembering everything though so if you've not seen Breaking Bad uh, there's no point in watching this and if you have seen Breaking Bad but not in a while maybe watch I think there's even on Netflix there might be a little recap loop or a few minutes or whatever that tells you what's up or find something like that did the recap not come up for you no. When it, oh, okay. Well, yeah. I I know when I pulled it up, it gave. I think there was like a probably a three minute. Oh, really? Sort of quick, very quick and dirty recap of <laughs> Breaking Bad. I didn't get that, but I was surprised how much came back to me because I haven't watched this show at all since it went off the air, and that's six years. Uh, uh, but then I thought maybe a lot didn't, but I wasn't sure because there's this welder in the show, and it, I thought it seemed like he wasn't new to Jesse, but. He was new to me, but then I was like, am I just not remembering when this guy was on, like in season two or something like that? Yeah. But then I think later on, it's made more clear that, oh, wait, maybe we've never seen this guy before. I don't know. Um, and Todd's in it. Remember Todd, played by Jesse Plemons. He's fantastic. He's one of the most incredible characters of all time. He's a sociopath. He doesn't feel, I mean, a regular sociopath doesn't feel empathy, but Todd can, but it's just misplaced in just the worst ways. Like, he, he, he doesn't care about killing people, but 
he wants so desperately for Jesse to like to be his friend. Yeah, it's just like what is wrong with you? It's oh, I, I don't know. A, a movie based on Todd would be very interesting. I think. Um, in the end, like there's no real big extenuation to the Breaking Bad story. It just it fills in some of the Jesse gets. Jesse's got a little bit short shrift at the end of the regular series, and I think this goes a long way into sort of evening that out as far as his story and Walt's story. There's a lot of flashbacks with a lot of characters and. A lot of people look much older than they should have looked just because it's been real time. That I couldn't get around. That was bothering me a lot of time, especially with, I don't know, some of the cast members that are older than, say, Jesse or whatever. But yeah. uh, in the end, it didn't really bother me that much. I don't. Does this count as a TV or a movie when it comes to awards? Like, is it going to be eligible for Emmys or Oscars? Oh, boy. I don't I, know. I, I was messing with me because it's a movie and it's a Netflix has been at both the Oscars and the Emmys. Yeah. But it's based on a TV show and frankly it's not going to win Oscars I wouldn't think. But They could submit it I guess as a TV movie at yeah. the Emmys. I would think they'd have much more luck winning something with doing that yeah. than trying to get like a Best Picture nomination or something. No they wouldn't get a Best Picture no. nomination for this. But no I liked it uh, and I thought maybe if the skinny Pete and Badger maybe need their own although they probably work better in small doses but I really really enjoyed seeing those guys again yeah it was cool to see them again and I went in with no expectations maybe because I just knew it would be good because Breaking Bad creator writer director Vince Gilligan would not do this if it wasn't good like right. he wouldn't commit to some kind of half-assed effort which was just okay for he a would quick payday throw the script away and start from scratch yeah so I just sat back and enjoyed the ride and one of the common things that I'm seeing in the reviews is hey this wasn't necessary but it was still very satisfying. I thought it was a satisfying add-on yeah. to see this proper conclusion for Jesse Pinkman's story. Now, I loved the way that his story ended in Breaking Bad, with him escaping to freedom, having been in captivity to be this meth cook for these thugs for X number of months. So he's seen escaping to freedom, and he's screaming in the car just in celebration, and they just cut it, and that was the end of Jesse Pinkman. Yeah. And I thought that was a perfect way to end it. But... I also loved that this movie picked up right from that very moment. <laughs> and then the tension never, like, the tension was almost immediate from where we pick it back up. And it kind of almost never let up through the whole movie because you were just wondering, like, is Pinkman going to get caught? Yep. Is he going to get hurt? Because the police are trying to find him. And if the police get a hold of him, that's not going to work out for him because he was, after all, even though he was in captivity, he was a criminal. And if he gets hurt by some other bad guys well then that it's all over for pinkman and aaron paul such a gifted actor and i'm hearing many are saying this is a career defining performance for him i think i'm a little sad that he didn't have more dialogue because aaron paul as jesse pinkman i think was at his best when he was really emotional like overtly emotional yeah you know he's got those big expressive eyes and he was just so good in the tv show with those big emotional scenes but he was very quiet in this not to suggest the performance was not emotional because it was it was just more subdued and this quietly painful you know he was very much introverted and and had a hard time expressing himself so that was excellent too i just i i liked more dialogue and there is one flashback scene where we get 
get some more dialogue from Pinkman. So that was fun. Where his yeah, it's a bit of a lighter scene on his end. It's like, oh, that's right, he's really funny on this show. Yeah, loading yeah, up at a buffet. Yeah, you forgot <laughs> that that he. I actually forgot that that's what he was like in the show for the most part until the end. I even like how they managed to sneak in some kind of decent action stuff. You know, there was an explosion. That was a good explosion. Yeah, it was great. So you got to wonder, <laughs> like, did Vince Gilligan say? Can we get an explosion in here? Yeah. We're doing a movie. Let's do an explosion. It's been an hour and a half with not a whole ton of action, so let's, let's blow some, some yeah. Let's blow some stuff up. The camera work, as always, is terrific. The camera work in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is always among the best yeah, it looks on television. So good. And as you pointed out, like they, they focus on throwaway details that would otherwise get ignored by any other show. And that's one of the things that I love about this show, this series as well, is just how meticulous it is with that camera work. All of the performances were terrific. I just loved it. So I am going to give it four and a half couch cushions out of five. And it was cool to finally learn whose voice this was. You ready? Well, that second one is Jesse Pinkman, but the first one won't say who it is, because if you've seen the trailer, you're probably wondering, who is Pinkman talking to there? Hmm. So uh, once you put it together, you go, ah, okay. Because I was kind of wondering if that was if that was Walter White, and maybe they had altered his voice, his voice somehow. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you that it was not him, but I won't tell you who it was. So yeah, I really loved, I loved it, and I think I kind of want to watch it again. Although, I think I would, if I do watch it again, I should probably watch Breaking Bad Again, but that's a commitment. I know it's only six seasons, but that's I've been, still a big yeah, commitment. It is. I've been sort of this close to rewatching Lost for over a year. And the only thing that stops me is I know that as soon as I start, I'm going to lose about six weeks of my life. Yeah. Or I did it in five weeks last time. So, okay. Which is insane. And, and you just, you can't do anything else. So, so yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah. Breaking Bad, I'd like to rewatch it again too. Uh, do you hope they make another movie? Well, and that's the thing. They called it a Breaking Bad movie. And I'm wondering if they called it that to, like a Star Wars story, to imply that there are more Breaking Bad movies that could be done. I don't know what you would do. Would you do another one on Jesse? Vince Gilligan has a long track record of us going, I don't know what they're going to do, and him going, well, well, I'll show you what we do, and coming up with something genius. Okay, so So, who would they do it on? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, right? Like, do you do it on Walter White in the lead-up to the series finale? Like, you like almost a prequel of sorts to his assault on oh, the bad guys? from Granite State to the last episode, there's some time there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that could be. That could be interesting to see how, you know, he investigated, how he figured out what to do, where yeah. he got the military-grade weaponry and was able to figure all that stuff out. I mean, that could be something worth looking into. Could and, be something with his family. Yeah. They weren't in this really at all, right? So, like, not everybody in the Breaking Bad universe came back for this one. So whoever characters they left out, maybe go into them a little bit. Yeah, Skinny Pete and Badger? <laughs> Why not? Todd? The insane adventures of Todd? Yeah. That could be, hey, they're, they're, well, if you've got any ideas, feel free to shoot us a note <laughs> at CouchPotato68 on the tweeters. Up next, we're going to tell you what is coming to home video. We've got a review of It, Chapter 2, and another big anniversary this week. What was it last week? Fight Club last week. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. 
I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes. Before we have a look at what is coming to home video, we want to just quickly touch on the other Breaking Bad property that is out there in the universe, that is Better Call Saul, the prequel show that the Couch Potatoes were admittedly skeptical about before it first aired, and then we quickly realized, nope, this show is genius. Yep, it's almost as good as Breaking Bad was. Yeah, four seasons so far about the about the lawyer, Saul Goodman, and how he came to be Saul Goodman. Saul Goodman. What's his Jimmy? Is it Gilligan? Gilligan. No, Vince Gilligan. Oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Now Slipping Jimmy. Yeah. I better call Saul Jimmy. Jimmy. Uh, what is the Google last name? says. Come on, Google. Bum, 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 bum. McGill. McGill. Oh, it's close. Okay. McGill yeah, that's again. right. James McGill. McGilligan. Okay. Almost. So, yeah, it's been four seasons down. Season four ended at the beginning of October of last year. So it's now officially been more than a year. And there is a season five, but all that we can find is that it's it's supposed to premiere in 2020. There's no date yet, which means it probably won't premiere in 2020. Yeah. Oh, wait. 2020 is next year. Yes. Second this year. Okay. So hopefully early next year, you would yeah. think. Why would it take longer than that? I don't know. But uh, Vince Gilligan doesn't like to release stuff until it is... Perfect. And clearly he was working on this movie, so. Yeah, he had other things. Other fish to fry. The thing I like about Better Call Saul is, you know, what's going to happen to Kim. Because yeah. with a lot of this stuff, because we know that Slippin' Jimmy's not going anywhere because it's a prequel and he comes up in Breaking Bad. But she's not in Breaking Bad, which, and this is a, that means something bad could happen. But also, maybe nothing. Maybe she moves away. Maybe nothing happens to her. Maybe she's just not in Breaking Bad. Maybe she's five feet off frame through that whole series and we just didn't know it. And there's a headline I saw the other day. Did El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, just predict a tragic ending for Saul Goodman in Better Call Saul? So I'm not going to get into that, but it looks like maybe there's something that we missed. Oh, an Easter egg of sorts? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. So People is read way too much into stuff that's not there. All right. Let's have a look at what's coming to home video this week. I was first in line until the prince arrived. Gonna be the king of pride rock is that so run away simba and never return there is nobody to challenge me simba you can't wait score this is my kingdom my destiny he's the lion king the Lion King. The Lion King. Did you see it? Uh, no, I did not care for the cartoon in 1994, so I did not go to the live action in 2019. Wow. Well, The Lion King, so the original movie, of course, is revered, and it, it's one of their... <laughs> by most. Yeah. For uh, Yeah, sorry, by most. <laughs> if you don't like it, that's okay. It's like me and two other people <clears throat> that don't like it. 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's okay if you didn't care for it. It's, you know, you don't... Yeah. There's no law that says no, you have to not. enjoy it. But the, the new one, I thought, was going to be revered as well, because there was so much excitement when that first trailer arrived. Uh, but uh, 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think it's because it's such a buy the num- Rotten Tomatoes says a uh, by the numbers retelling that lacks the energy and heart. Like it's in many cases just a shot for shot remake, but with 
real life looking CG versus yeah. the cartoon. And it's box office, which was huge though. Not as big as I thought it could. Like I actually thought this could end up being the biggest movie of 2019, but domestically $542 million, 1.6 billion, uh, yeah, billion worldwide, almost 1.65 billion. So very impressive box office haul, but I think that would actually be probably even seen as a disappointment, at least in terms of the domestic. Uh, but the Lion King, yeah, it's now going to be available on Blu-ray, DVD, and on demand. So if you just want to rent it through your cable box or whatever. And then uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That was that horror one from Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yeah. Based on a book. Um, it did. It was it had a small budget. I, I looked it up. It was $25 million budget made $95 million. So successful in that way. But I don't know. I think it's like a more of a PG-13 kind of horror movie. Yeah, I think it's actually based on... Kids books? Uh, hang on a second. Horror here. books just, for kids or something like that. Let me just like look that. up scary stories. Scary stories to tell in the dark, based on the children's book series of the same name by Alvin Schwartz. I don't know. I watched the promos for that, and I was like, nope, not going. He's too good at designing ugly monsters that are just truly creepy. Yeah, he is creepy. I remember, I think the first thing where I at least noticed him was Blade Two. Have you ever seen Blade 2? Have you nope. seen any of the Blade movies? I have not. Wesley Snipes? Okay. Uh, well, he uh, w- that had some creepy stuff in it, but then Pan's Labyrinth, I know, spooked us both. Yeah, I s- still don't know why I went to watch that. <laughs> disturbing. Well, I don't think we we realized just how scary it was going to yeah, be at times. that's true. Some of the stuff in that movie was yeah. just horrific. So he definitely has sort of this weird, twisted imagination and brings these creatures to life. Something fierce yeah. on the big screen. Still to come, we have an anniversary to mark. We have a big show to tee up on HBO that is starting this weekend. And next, a belated review of something spooky just in time for Halloween. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. Halloween's only a couple of weeks away, so figured I would finally get around to seeing It Chapter 2. For 27 years... Now, I say finally got to see it because it debuted September 6th, two years after it arrived to critical and commercial success. That first movie had an 86% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, did huge box office for a scary movie, $123 million opening weekend on its way to $700 million worldwide. It inspired a new adaptation of Pet Cemetery, which did not do nearly as well. Now, the sequel not quite doing as well as it, only 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. Smaller opening weekend at $91 million, but that's still very good especially for an R-rated horror film. Uh, so far, sitting at $446 million worldwide. Its long runtime likely has something to do with the smaller numbers because it's almost three hours long. That's just a long time for uh, any movie, especially a scary movie. And yet, it also didn't feel like a three-hour movie. So I'll get to more on that in a second. For those unfamiliar, It 
is based on the smash hit book from Stephen King, which is set in the town of Derry, Maine, where a malevolent shape-shifting force likes to terrorize and eventually eat children. It primarily takes the form of Pennywise the Clown. First movie was great, set in the 80s. Book uh, was set in the 50s when the heroes were kids, but now they've upgraded that so are just to, you know, you know, because the movies being made in 2019 not being made in the 80s or 90s. So set in the 80s when our heroes, the Losers Club, are all kids and the kids were all tremendous. The script had heart, it had humor, and yes, it had horror. Although I was distracted by a lot of the CG stuff. If you're going to do CGI in a horror movie, I think it has to be perfect. Otherwise, it's just a distraction that takes you out of the moment. And thus, the impact of the scare is cheapened because there are at least two or three scenes in that movie where I thought, that's some bad CG. And then it just ruins the scare for me. Although, you saw that oh, film, Oh, I right? did. And it did not ruin the scare for me. Okay. It terrified me. And it made it... I didn't have screaming nightmares. I had a number of nights where I was trying to sleep and I was like, stop thinking about that stupid movie. Think of something nice. Wow. Yeah. It was freaky, man. Yeah. So scary movies, not for everybody. Jeff ended up going to, you ended up going with a group of people where none of you ended up wanting to see it. Right right? when the movie started, somebody's like, why are we here at this? And everyone's like, well, you said you wanted to see it. And she's like, I didn't want to see it. And then we realized that none of us wanted to see it, but the lights were already going down. It was too late to switch movies. So we're like, I guess we're going to watch it. Oh God. All right. So not going to see this one. It made sense to split the movie up the way that they did. The book goes back and forth from when they're adults to when they're kids, but the first movie was all when they were kids. Second movie is mostly when they're adults, played by the likes of Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, Bill Hader, and the Old Spice, I'm on a horse guy. Also worth pointing out the reason why they did two movies. This book is like a thousand or eleven hundred pages long. It is a huge book, and it's already been previously adapted into a four-hour TV miniseries, so now they've got nearly five hours of screen time on the big screen. Before watching it, like just before the movie started, the person I went to see the movie with, she said she'd heard it was funny, and I thought, funny? That's a strange way to describe it, but once the humor started to appear... I remembered how much humor there was in that first one. Like I said, that first one had some great humor, but I had just forgotten about it. The kids, they all had so much hilarious dialogue in that first movie, and there's more hilarious dialogue to enjoy in this film, both when they're adults and when we see them again as kids in flashbacks. And the great thing is none of the humor feels forced. None of the dialogue is stupid. Movies like this often insert humor just for the sake of having it or to try to cut the tension. This, like, I think you even pointed this out when you did your review of The Meg. And again, that's, that's, that was more of a comedy thriller than a horror movie, yeah. but it had some ridiculous dialogue. Oh, yeah. It, had some, it, it was just frustrating where it's like, you know what? You could have just, you, if you had tried a little bit harder, get some person that knows how to do dialogue to take a shot at it, it would have been so much better. Yeah. So the humor in these movies, I think, just made the characters more real. It made their bond more relatable. And that bond is so important and crucial to the story. So when you believe in their friendship and you believe in this bond, then that makes the story that much worthwhile. So the humor helped so much in that. And it's that bond that brings them all back together to do battle once more with Pennywise. As mentioned, didn't really feel like a three-hour movie somehow. Like, I was never bored, although it probably didn't need to be as long as it did because many of the scares were just bigger in scope. So it ended up 
it ended up being almost relentless, like not, just one big scary scene after another. And to be honest, none of them to me were all that scary. Again, not to me. Jeff, you might have a different opinion. <laughs> I would call this movie more of a thriller than a horror film. But again, that is not to suggest if you watch it, you won't be scared. I just wasn't all that scared. But it was definitely thrilling, and I had tons of fun. And the ending was satisfying to me. I remember being hugely disappointed with the ending to the TV miniseries from the 90s. And I don't actually remember how it ended in the book I should probably read it again. So this at least helped to course correct that kind of... It helped wash the taste out of my mouth. Because I remember loving that TV miniseries, but the ending, I just remember being so let down by it. And it wasn't just me. I think most people who have seen that miniseries will go, oh yeah, that ending was... uh, It was kind of crappy. And this movie also held the source material in high regard gave it the respect that it deserves, but it did reinterpret a few things, but still I think it worked for the story here. And Stephen King even had a cameo. So I liked the first one a lot. I liked the second one a lot, even though it didn't get as good of reviews as that first one. I will say though, that it was just too big. It was too long and the scares were too big. It ended up being more of a special. We'll say there were a ton of visual effects, but they were good. They were better. Like there wasn't one, one, spot where I thought that's crappy CG so they they clearly put more work into this one to make sure that they got it right because there's one scene with if the CG was at all looking kind of phony then it, it would the, the scene would have been a, a wash it would have just not worked because there's this giant giant monster sort of chasing one of the characters through a park and it looked completely real so hmm. I dig it I'm going to give it chapter 2 four couch cushions out of five should also point out as well Jessica Chastain had said that there's a scene where they've got like the most blood ever yep it was Not, kind of a letdown scene. Like they had. Well, when you hype it up like that, it's bound to be. Yeah. Like I was. I suppose technically she's correct, but the way the blood is used, it's just. It's just there. Like yeah. it wasn't shocking at all. Okay. I was expecting it to be this big, scary, like, oh my God, <laughs> sort of scene. And it was not like that at all. Up next, we mark the anniversary Whoa. of one of the best movies ever made. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Last week, we were so caught up in the 20th anniversary of Fight Club. Slipped my mind that this past week was also the 25th anniversary of a Couch Potatoes classic, Pulp Fiction, a masterpiece from Quentin Tarantino. For many of us, our first glimpse of his talents, although it is his second movie, following 1992's Reservoir Dogs, which was a small indie movie that got a lot more eyeballs on it after Pulp Fiction came out. So I made a montage of some favorite moments from Pulp Fiction and across Tarantino's work. And you know what they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? No, man. They got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the f*** a quarter pounder is. And what do they call it? They call it uh, a Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. A Le Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call a Whopper? I don't know. I didn't go on a Burger King. What's the matter, partner? It's official, old buddy. Well, it has been. Are you going to bark all day, little doggy? Or are you going to bite? D-J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. You hear me talking, hillbilly boy? I ain't 
do what you by damn sight. I'm going to get medieval on your ass. You got a letter from Abraham Lincoln? Yes. The Abraham Lincoln? Yes. Abraham Lincoln, the president of the United States? Yes. Of America? <laughs> I love that stuff, you know, with the killing. A lot of killing. You know what they call a quarter pounder with cheese in France? Royale with cheese. You know why they call it that? Because of the metric system. Check out the big brain on bread. Donnie. Yeah. Gosh, German here wants to dock the country. Oblige him. You shoot me in a dream, you better wake up and apologize. You shot Melanie? Twice. In the parking lot. Is she dead? Pretty much. You're at f***ing Dalton. Don't you forget it. Did you to go in that bag find my wallet. Which one is it? It's the one that says bad mother. I put a cherry on top. Booyah. You kill people. And they give you a reward? Better. They are bigger the reward. Whose motorcycle is this? It's a chopper, baby. Whose chopper is this? Zed's. Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. I was 18 when Pulp Fiction came out. Safe to say the movie had a huge impact on me. I was instantly my favorite. I had posters, a soundtrack. I watched it like once a week while I was in college. And of course, I've been in love with Tarantino ever since. So was Hollywood at the time. There were a lot of Pulp Fiction wannabes in the later part of the 90s trying to ape Tarantino. Most of them not great. But what was great was the realization that writers and directors didn't have to play by the normal rules of filmmaking and could try all sorts of crazy things. Fight Club maybe doesn't get made or get the caliber of people involved without Pulp Fiction breaking down some of the barriers. It was one of the major nominees at the Oscars that year. Tarantino and Roger Avery ended up winning for Best Screenplay. Tarantino lost Best Director and Best Picture to Robert Zemeckis and Forrest Gump, which was expected. The real burn, though, the Best Supporting Actor category. It was won by Martin Landau for Ed Wood. And who's watched that since then? Come on. For me, one of the biggest missteps in Oscars history. The award clearly should have gone to Samuel L. Jackson for playing Hitman Jules Winfield. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country are you from? What? what? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? What? English, do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. And it goes on from there. A lot of beeping needed to continue that scene. Sam Jackson steals the movie, which is saying something, given that the movie has characters like Zed, Butch, Mia, Vincent, Pumpkin, Honey Bunny, Marcellus Wallace, and a gimp. Uh, Sam pops off the screen like you wouldn't believe. For me, the best performance of the decade, and Pulp Fiction, a stone-cold classic. Can't believe it's already been 25 years. Guess how much money Pulp Fiction made? $3 million. $213 million worldwide. It was a huge hit, which was like unheard of for a little indie movie like that. I was, I was wondering if it maybe made no money and, and it, it like gained traction I'm always on su- home video. I'm always surprised when I hear that. It's like, wow, that actually was a real big hit. Wow. It was weird. Um, so yeah, so that's Pulp Fiction. Now, something new coming out on TV this weekend that we wanted to talk about. It's a show on HBO called Watchmen. We are no one. We are everyone. And we are invisible. We convinced ourselves that they were gone, but they were just hibernating. They came for everybody. Oh, please. 
Are we safe? I guess we have ourselves a reckoning. The HBO series Watchmen, based on the old comic, debuts Sunday night. I have very high hopes for this. The guy in charge, pretty much my favorite TV show creator ever. It's Damon Lindelof, who co-created Lost and The Leftovers, which are top five all-time shows for me. The cast includes Regina King, Jeremy Irons, Don Johnson, Tim Blake Nelson, and Lou Gossett Jr. If you've never read the comic book series from the 80s or watched the 2009 film adaptation from director Zack Snyder, Watchmen is a superhero series that's a lot darker and grittier than your regular Superman or Spider-Man or X-Men types. At least back then it was. It's definitely more violent. There is all sorts of nudity in the movie too, so not for little kids. Not really as dark and gritty as like The Joker or some of those Punisher movies were super violent, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, so I don't know that it's that much. Uh, the storytelling in the comics was a lot more sophisticated than usual comic book fare. Very highly regarded those books, and I think a lot of the fans were sort of split on the movie. The movie was almost too faithful to the books, making for a sometimes clunky and way too long movie. HBO show is not a direct adaptation. It's more new adventures with new characters in that universe. The comic book universe, not the movie. Whatever the movie changed from the book didn't change for the show, so we're still in big squig country here. It's apparently set 30 years later, which will age out most of whomever was left at the end of the comic. Uh, what is left over is this grim society by the looks of things. There are heroes and bad guys and a terrorist organization. I imagine there'll be a lot of parallels to modern society with a twist. Another other issue the movie had, like I mentioned, was the length. Snyder likes to go long. He also didn't want to cut anything, but that original source material is essentially a miniseries, so I think a TV series is more suited for this world. The early reviews have been good from TV critics, of course. There are some diehard Watchmen fans who may feel differently. We'll find out Sunday night on HBO. I bought the extended cut of Watchmen on Blu-ray. I can't remember how long it is, but I do remember enjoying it more really? than the theatrical cut, but that was... And I now I see why people were saying that Watchmen was impossible to adapt to film because when I read the graphic novel, like I saw the movie first and then read the graphic yeah. novel, and it is dense. It's a dense read and it's <laughs> an intense, and it's it's viewed as I think Time Magazine viewed it like rated it one of the 100 best books ever period. written. Period, wow, like amazing. in any genre. So worth reading Watchmen. I think the movie's interesting at least from a visual perspective, but I'm very curious about this. And HBO always does good stuff. So yeah, and it looks. It looks fantastic. So HBO's got this. And then next month, they've got his Dark Materials, which is based on the books uh, that they tried to make into movies and ultimately failed in making a trilogy. And apparently the early word on that is that it's a better TV show than a movie. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brad. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast if you haven't done so yet, because that always comes out before it makes it to broadcast. And remember, if you require getting up off the couch, don't bother.